All right, if you would, would, would you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 10 this morning? 2 Corinthians 10. Yes. Lessons from the wilderness. Come on. <laughs> but uh, I just believe the Lord wants to speak to our hearts. There's a lot of things um, that God is doing in our hearts. And one of the things he's doing, how many know that the Lord takes us out to bring us in? Bring us into his promises, to the fulfillment, to possess all that he has. And Pastor John spoke on that last week on abundant life. How many know that Jesus came to give life and that more abundantly? What a tremendous message. Uh, But for us to enter into that, he gives us instruction. The Lord gives us instruction. He gives us um, some parameters, if you will, some instruction on how to walk in freedom and liberty. And you know, with freedom and liberty, there comes responsibility. With freedom and liberty, there comes responsibilities. And if you're a parent, how many parents in the house this morning, you know, one of the biggest challenges as a parent is figuring out when you can increase the level of freedom and liberty for your kid. Knowing when they're ready to accept those responsibilities that come with it. Here's the car keys, but (laughs) there's some responsibilities. There's some limits here. Uh, There's some things that you have to agree to. Uh, My kids have really been wanting a dog lately. And uh, let's just say I'm not there yet. My life's fairly complicated already. And we've had a couple of trial runs with dogs. I love dogs, don't get me wrong. Um, I just don't like taking care of them. That's, uh, that's simple. And so I said, hey, if we're getting a dog, we're going to have a contract. Um, and in this contract, there'll be some terms and conditions for you to have the dog, which include m- me never picking up the stuff. <clears throat> Which includes me never waking up at five to walk that thing. Which includes me <laughs> never, never waking up your mom who already suffered six years of sleep deprivation. So there's terms and conditions for an animal in our house. And, uh, you know, when they agree to those, maybe we'll reconsider. But they said, you show us the contract, we'll sign it. I'm like, don't be so quick. Don't be so quick. <clears throat> yeah, right. And, uh, and you also need to get a babysitter for our dog, too, so uh, if we get one. Um, well, as we, get, as we go to this passage here, I just want to say a few things in my heart, but the Lord gives us freedom, and he wants us to be, the Bible says that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It was for freedom that Christ died for us, to set us free. So the Lord's desire is to bring you into liberty. He not only takes us out of the world, but there's this process that he's getting us into the next phase, which is to begin to possess and to begin to walk in the promises of God. And and that transition period between the two kind of comes down to how we obey in that period, how we walk in that period. Because... Freedom is not so we can do whatever we want. Come on. Freedom is so that we can be empowered to do as we ought to do. 
so we can be empowered to walk in a way that's pleasing to him. And so as we read, let's read with this, read with me on 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. And it says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual fruit, food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So we, this, this passage is camped in the middle of Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. How many know that first letter to the Corinthian church, he had a several items, several corrections to address with them. He said, you're carnal, you're divided. He, he addresses their issues there. He addresses their issues with sexual immorality and not dealing with some situations in the church. Come on. He addresses uh, their behaviors and selfishness in some of their gatherings. And he speaks to them because Corinth, the backdrop here, is a society of a, a very mixed, a melting pot of different people. It was a port city, but it was highly, highly immoral. They had a lot of pagan worship. They had a lot of immorality and prostitution and all sorts of things. So people were getting saved out of that. And, they, and many times, how many know we come into the church and we're saved, but we still got some baggage to deal with? And so he's dealing with the baggage and he's talking to them about walking in freedom and the responsibilities that come with liberty, having a focus on edifying each other in love, not not using our liberties in such a way that we would cause a brother to stumble. And he speaks at length of the principles of conscience. And then he gets to this passage. And here we are, and, and he brings about a historical perspective from the Old Testament and from the, from the fathers, the, the children of Israel who were in the wilderness. And this first four verses speaks to their blessings. Come on, somebody say Blessings. And privileges. We have great blessings and privileges as believers in Christ. And they did too. So it says they were under the cloud. And it really speaks of God's divine presence, His divine guidance in their life. His divine protection. That cloud would by day lead them. And at night there was fire that led them. And so He led them through and out of Egypt... And he led them to deliverance. And it says they passed through the sea. It speaks to divine deliverance. How many know that God's presence is with us? He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That is Holy Spirit. He promised to lead us by his spirit. As many as are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. So we are being led. We are being guided. He's protected us. He's delivered us. Come on, somebody. And then it says they were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. And it speaks to when we as believers put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, baptizes us into the body of Christ. I mean, thankful that you became part of a community. You were identified with us crazy folks. And with Jesus and his death and burial and resurrection. And so they have all these blessings and all these privileges. 
Then it says they ate spiritual food. Miraculously, God gave them manna from heaven each and every morning, six days a week, and double supply on the sixth day. Spiritual food. And he says their spiritual drink in the middle of a dry and weary wilderness, he gives them water from the rock. And he says that rock was pre-incarnate Christ who is with them. We also have living water. Jesus stood up at the feast and he said, All you who thirst, come unto me and I will give you drink. I will give you drink. Drink from me and out of you shall flow rivers, come on, of living water. So he gives us the drink. We have the drink and the water of his word in our life. So it really speaks to their provision what they had, their blessings. But how many know God's blessings and his favor and his gifts are not always a sign of his approval? Then it wouldn't be grace. Grace is him giving without merit. They were living in supernatural means and supernatural power. God's divine presence, divine provision, divine protection, divine guidance and divine food. They didn't work for any of it. It was supplied to them. And the reason I say this is it says, you know, like them we have spiritual gifts, we've been supplied. But it goes on to verse 5, it says, Nevertheless, which is a very strong word in the Greek, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Yikes. So Paul's giving this instruction. Paul's giving this example, if we will, that we'll get to in a moment, but for a reminder to us that there's a purpose and there's a, uh, a, a calling that he has in freedom. And he says, nevertheless, and this, this word is a strong conjunction between the beginning of this passage where he says, all our fathers, and then he goes to, but most he was not well pleased with and he's still being nice there. There was two million of them. He was pleased with two. That's more than most. Jo- Joshua and Caleb are the only one from the original crew who get to go into the promised land. Right? All the rest would be laid low in the wilderness. He said with this generation he was not pleased. And so a strong lesson and a strong warning to us. As we, as in, in our day, in our hour that we're in, we have to understand the Lord can love us at the same time, not be pleased with us at times. Are you with me? We parents, we spouses, we family, we understand this. I love you, but right now, come on, I'm not super pleased. We have those moments. If you don't, come on, you can tell us how that works for you. But compromise leads to death in the wilderness. They were laid low. They'd be, they were being disqualified. The emphasis is that our privileges and blessings we have in Christ also come with responsibilities. We have been given even greater blessings. Come on. Do you realize that? Do you recognize that this morning in Christ? Ephesians 1 says that you have been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That you've been 
You've been brought in, accepted in the beloved, just like they were baptized into Moses. We were baptized into Christ. You're accepted in the beloved this morning. You're loved. You're highly favored. God has given you all things in Christ. In, in, first, in second. Uh, Peter chapter 1, it says, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Everything. You're not lacking anything. God's provided everything we need for life and godliness. We are blessed. We're forgiven. We've been given new life. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Come on. The privileges and blessing of the Christian life are countless. And yet with those privileges come a responsibility. Paul exhorts the Galatians along these lines, and he says in Galatians 5, verse 13, for you were called to freedom. Amen? Brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. There it is. He empowers us through his grace. Grace isn't just a a, a license to do whatever you want. Grace is the empowerment to live holy in righteousness as he's called us to. And this, this came in Galatians 5 after Paul had warned them of, hey, stand fast in the liberty with which you've been given. And do not return back to the yoke of slavery. See, they were at risk. The Galatian church had a different problem. The Judaizers had snuck in and brought the law and was trying to, trying to uh, change the rules, if you will. And he said, having started in the spirit, how come now you are being perfected in the flesh? They had started well, but they were not finishing well. Are you with me? God wants us to start well and finish well. Come on. And maybe you didn't start well, but today you can change. You can be on the path to finishing well. Praise God. Then he goes on in verse 6. And he says, now these things happened as examples for us. How many have had some examples in your life? I I had good examples. I've had bad examples. Are you with me? I had some, someone in a leadership meeting at work one time said this. He says, oh, there's no such thing as a bad boss. I said, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. He said, because I've learned just as much from bad bosses as I have good bosses, sometimes more. But not what not to do. What not to do. And so if you're, you're dealing with that situation, you can learn. Come on, somebody. All right? You can learn from these situations. There are good examples and there are bad examples. And there's two ways of learning in life, I've learned. You can learn through God's instruction and his word and take note and, and, and apply, seek wisdom and understanding through his word and his spirit in your life. Or you can learn through the school of hard knocks. How many have been in that one? Yeah, I graduated with a 4.0. Learning the hard way. I've graduated. I mean, I'm not going back. Come on. (laughs) I don't want to go back to that school. I got the diploma. I'm done. And that's where you have to learn yourself. My parents would tell me. I remember my dad saying to me, hey, you know, if you look at your group of friends right now, that's how you'll be in five years. I'm like, no. Five years later. 
Okay, I see where you're going with that. But there's instruction. There's examples. And it says these were written for our example, for our instruction, so we won't repeat those mistakes. We're in a society right now that's trying to rewrite history. And that's dangerous. Because those who forget history will repeat it. Those who forget history will repeat it. And so when we look at the Old Testament, yes, it's types and shadows of things to come, but there's lessons in instruction. Yes, we're living under a better covenant. Thank God for that. Amen? But we still have much to learn. So number one is learn by example. Israel's bad example. It says, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. So he goes and begins to lay out five-fold blessings and five-fold warnings. He talked about the blessings, the provision, the guidance, the deliverance, the, the, the protection, all that God gave us. Then he goes into five things they did. First of all, it says they craved evil things. And this speaks to lust. Lust. Paul alludes to Israel's craving. They complained about the manna which God gave them daily and desired meat. Do you know what lust is? It's really to desire something outside of God's provision. It's to desire something that God isn't providing for you. And yet, sometimes he'll give us over to those desires so we can just see the folly of it. And in Numbers 11.5, it says that they remembered the fish we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. That's how lust works, right? How many ever, how many ever experienced selective memory loss or maybe someone you know has? Selective memory loss. So we, we remember, oh, that, that, that was great food. Do you remember the tyranny and the bondage and the awful stuff you were under that you cried out for deliverance? No, all you remember is the menu? Come on. All you remember is the menu? But we got a selective memory loss, and that's how lust comes. It'll try to bring temptation of things that have you put beyond, behind you. We forget the bondage. We forget the tyranny, the wages of sin. And we're deceived into believing that there's something better, that it was better then. And that Psalm 78 says, and their desire he gave to them. God forbid that you give us some desires that we want. There are some desires we do not want him to give us. I hope we're at least aware enough this morning that that's the truth. That's why we need the Holy Spirit and through worship and, and, and fellowship with the Lord, we are changed. Our desires are transformed. Our desires are transformed. He says, if you'll delight in the Lord, he'll give you what? The desires of your heart. And they're his desires. I want to desire what he desires. Praise God. Psalm 78, 30 through 31. Before they had satisfied their desires. So he answers, they ask for meat. And Moses is just like, what am I going to do with these people? Two million whiners. 
You thought you had problems. Come on. And he goes to the Lord. He goes, are we going to get cattle from all over? How are we going to do this? He says, I'm God. I got this. Some of us need to hear that this morning. I'm God. I got this. So he uses a wind, and he brings all these quail. And the Bible says that they were dropped one mile on this side and one mile on that side, and they were two cubits deep. Six feet, folks, I think is about right. Seven feet, maybe. That's a lot of quail. Here, you want this? Have all you can eat. All you can eat. Woo. And it says, as they... While their food was in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and killed some of their stoutest one and subdued the choice men of Israel. You see, our desire for things outside of God's provision always is the beginning of our falling away. It's always the beginning of defection. You see, Eve was standing before that tree. Come on. And she saw it. And it says, the tree was good. She saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life that pull us, that entice us. And the Bible says it's not God who tempts us in James But these come from our own lusts and desire. And so the warning is, watch out. Don't crave as they craved. Be careful. Because God wants you to not come short. God doesn't want you to be laid low in the wilderness. Are you with me this morning? But to come into the fullness of all that he has. Amen? Secondly, he says in verse 7, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. 1 Corinthians 10, 7. And this speaks to the account in Exodus chapter 32. You know the story. Moses is up on the mountain. God's speaking to him, giving him all sorts of instruction for 40 days and 40 nights. The Israelites are down with Aaron. Aaron was his backup. Are you with me? Aaron got the out-of-office notice, right? If you need me, if it's urgency, Aaron. All right. Aaron's down there with the people, and these people get impatient. Anyone got impatient with God on any time? It's okay. You don't have to shout me down. All right. They were impatient with him. And they took all their golden jewelry and and created their own molded calf for worship. And they sat to eat, and the Bible says they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. In other words, they placed recreation and pleasure ahead of God. Ooh, got quiet in here. The Hebrew here implies when they got up to play, this is a very sexual thing. It was sexual play. They ate, drank, and they played. And you know what? Here's the deal. And we'll talk about immorality in a moment, but idolatry and immorality always go together. We have a nation that, we're in a nation that has, that has embraced all sorts of idolatry. And we've seen over the last year, God beginning to deal with some of those things. But we wonder why we are in the condition we are because we've got freedom, but we don't, we haven't embraced the responsibilities as a nation that go with freedom. 
Even the founders said this is system of in government is entirely unfit for an ungodly people, a, 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 a non-religious people, people who will not fear God, people who are uneducated and not moral, and immoral people is what he meant to say. It's unfit for an immoral people because freedom has responsibility. And so they were, here they are, they're in the midst of idolatry, worshiping, sitting down, eating, drinking, getting up and playing, all sorts of all sorts of debauchery going on. Similar in the Corinthian culture of pagan worship and idolatry from which these new believers had come. The background of where their church was located. The a backdrop, I should say. They were, they'd go into this temple worship and there was prostitutes. There's all sorts of gross immorality that went on in this, in this city and in this culture. And so he's speaking to that. He's going here. They also dealt with this. And idolatry was an issue. Then it's an issue now. How many know there's nothing new under the sun? Idolatry was an issue. The children of Israel is an issue in Corinth and it's an issue today. Idols Idolatry is simply substituting anything for the Lord. Whatever blocks your view and worship of God is an idol. Whatever blocks our view and worship of God is an idol. And here's the other thing about idols. They're always willfully crafted and willfully worshipped. They're created by us. Whether they're in our imagination or whether they're the making of our own hands as some of these were. They're created by us. That idolatry is anything that we put in substitute for God in our life. Whereas lust is trying to get something that God doesn't want us to have. Idolatry is trying to get something instead of God. Put something in his place. And so... We have to check our hearts. What is taking me away from him? Check the desires and affections. Take inventory of our life on occasion and go, Lord, is there anything that is coming between me and you? Is there anything that I've placed above you in my life? You got quiet again. You still here? What is our, what is, what in our heart is inordinately connected to, is our heart inordinately connected to our bank account? Come on. Our Facebook or Instagram feed, our success, our pleasure or recreation. You know, we can make an idol of our spouse. We can make an idol of our children. And when we do, we destroy them as well as us. Because we're trying to have them take a place that only belongs to the Lord. You know, in the context of this, he said, you shall not create any idols or any false gods. And you not, should not have any false gods before you in, in, in Exodus chapter 20. And he says, because he's a jealous God. You know, God has a right to be jealous. Because he's God. He created us for him. For his pleasure. For his joy. And there is no other God like him. He's jealous for our affection. He's jealous for relationship. He's jealous for our worship. Are you with me this morning? And yet, these, our lives, if we're not careful, can be eaten up by the cares of this world and things become idols without us even knowing or recognizing it. Yeah. I'm going to say this. We have time for God. Yeah. 
we have time for God. Here's how I know. Because we have time for anything we want. We'll make time for the things we want. Come on. We'll make time for the things we want. And when I take inventory, I look at my time, my treasure, my talents, how these are being used, is he first? And, and how important is this in our time? Just look up idolatry and revelation. And how, how, how big of a deal it is to the Lord. And so we are in these times. Verse 8, read on. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. In verse 8, immorality. And you're in the Greek, the word here is pornea. It's illicit sex. It's adultery. It's fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism. All of it falls into this category. Can we just say this is the issue of our age? One of them. Biggest issues of our age. That's why we're having this class. Because almost all of us have been touched in some way in this area of our life. And we need deliverance. We need healing and we need to know that immorality is, is a huge temptation for us in this time and days that we live in. Israelites, for them, it was the sin at Peor. If you look at Numbers 25, and I won't go through the whole chapter, but it says the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. And, of course, it was mixed with their idolatry and joining themselves to Baal of Peor. You know, all this idol worship came with sexual immorality. And it came with sacrifice. See, every idol is going to ask you to give up and exact a price from you that you didn't want to pay. It will exact a price from you that you did not want to pay. You'll stay longer than you wanted to stay. You'll pay more than you wanted to pay for that idol. That's how the enemy works. Come on. You give him an inch, he takes a mile. He takes everything. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he does that through taking our attention, our affection off of God and putting on other things and getting us wrapped up in sexual immorality. And so God's dealing with this was he told Moses, you're going to kill all the leaders of this rebellion in front of the Israelites. Have all the judges gather, all the men who had participated in this idolatry and slay them. However... There was one man. Somebody say one man. Phineas. And this man had the zeal of the Lord. And he saw one of the his son of, his sons of the Israelites came up. And he's bringing along his Midianite mistress. And Phineas was so filled with the, with the zeal of God that he, grabbed, he stood up, he grabbed his spear, and he chased them into the tent, and he killed both of them. And the Lord said, because of his zeal, his heart, my heart, the plague was checked. Yet thousands died because of the immorality. And we see this in our society today. The immorality is costing lives. Sexual immorality is destroying families. Sexual immorality is destroying our culture. And we cannot let it in through the doors of the church into our hearts either. Come on. We live in a world saturated with this stuff. 
First Corinthians, he had, you know, he's speaking to the Corinthians, and they were dealing with a very sexualized culture themselves, and he rebuked the church at Corinth for not dealing with some of their issues and a specific situation in their church. And then he goes on to tell them in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, they are to flee immorality. Somebody say flee this morning. Because while every other sin is outside the body, the immoral man sins against his own body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, this has been bought with a price. Come on. This belongs to him. And he said, and he warns him, he says, the one who joins, who, who, who is immoral with a prostitute joins himself to the prostitute because the, they become one flesh. But God's intent is that we would be joined to him in, in, our, in spirit, one with him. Come on. We live in a world saturated. For this, it goes in First Thessalonians. Here's the exhortation he gave to the church at Thessalonica. He said, for this is the will of God. Somebody say the will of God. Your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Man, if we get this right, and I'm telling you what, if we don't get this right, every part of our life ain't right. And if you're here this morning, you're dealing with this, we're not here to condemn you. We believe there's hope, and for, hope for you. Come on. But it's a serious thing with serious consequences. And God wants to deliver you and save you out of it. Amen? Verse 9 says, Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. And this really trying the Lord is the word test and testing in a, in a, in a not good way. Again, parents, you know this. You're testing me. You got people in your life who test you. They're testing your character. They're testing who you are. They, they're, they're constantly coming at you with the why, 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 why. Israelites in, number 21, in Numbers 21 says they had grown impatient because of the journey. And in their impatience spoke against the Lord. That's what the Bible says. They spoke against the Lord, questioning his attention, intentions. Well, have why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Come on. Do you ever just go, what? You saw all the wonders that he did to get you out of Egypt? You saw his miracles. You saw the cloud. You saw the fire. You saw all this, and you're saying he's going to leave you to die? Whoo. So because of their testing, it's the Bible says that he, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people of Israel so that they bit them and many died. Man, I can't even imagine that. Snakes. Whoo. That is rough. No thank you. But after they've been bitten, they recognize how bad this is. They acknowledge their sin, and Moses interceded for them. Thank God for intercessors. Thank God for some who will stand in the gap. Thank you for Jesus, who is our intercessor, whoever liveth to make intercession for us. And upon seeing their acknowledgement, their, their, their repentance, he says, now I want you to construct a bronze serpent and hold it up and lift it up. And those who have been bitten and who look upon that serpent shall be healed. 
And that speaks to Jesus to come. And he says, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up on a cross. And those who look to the cross will be delivered from the bite of the enemies, that snake's bite. But the temptation is to try him. And it's really speaking to unbelief in our hearts. Unbelief in our hearts. Hebrews warns us of not coming short of the life of rest and faith that God has through us, us for us through unbelief. It says in Hebrews 4.2, For indeed we have had good news preached to us. Anybody this morning has some good news over your lifetime preached to you. But just as they also, but the word they heard that did not profit them. The word they heard did not profit them. Can we just sit here for a second? God wants his word to profit us. But there's a condition. Look, read on. It says, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. It's the hearing of faith that brings the prophet and the word to work in our hearts. Are you with me? Hebrews 10, 11, 6 goes on to say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. He takes it offensively. We won't believe him in his word. He says, you of, you unbelieving generation, Jesus said several times, right? Because he's dealing with this. And, and, and here was an unbelieving genera- generation in the wilderness. And the Bible says that they harden their hearts. He's, and it goes on to say in Hebrews, do not harden your heart as they did in the day of rebellion. And so a hard heart comes because we've been desensitized to him and his word. Are you with me? And when our heart is set on other things, then we are desensitized to him and his word. That's the effect of idolatry. So he says, don't try the Lord. Verse 10, he says, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Whoo, grumbling and complaining. Two million complaining people well minus two the israelites complained about everything about moses's leadership about the food the lord provided them in the wilderness about the bitter waters at meribah about the bad report of the ten spies you name it they complained about it and it's all getting to god's ears and it says in psalm 106 25 and 26 it says but they grumbled in their tents they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Do you know when we're grumbling and we're complaining, we can't hear. We can't hear. God's trying to speak to us. God's trying to minister to us and give us direction and encourage us. And yet we cannot hear because we are in our tents grumbling. Therefore, he swore to them that he would cast them down in the wilderness. Paul exhorts the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, do all things, somebody say all things, without grumbling or disputing. Without grumbling or disputing. And so I think it's easy for us to get in patterns without recognizing what is coming out of my mouth. Am I speaking faith? Am I grumbling? Am I questioning God's will? Am I questioning God's provision? Are you with me this morning? So all that, he says, learn from the example. 
So basically, don't do what they did and fall short because God wants you to walk into the fullness of his promises. Now going to verse 11, we're almost done. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. Look at this, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And when we look at all of the exhortations about the times we live in, Peter says multiple times, be sober-minded, be ready, be in prayer, stay in a place of readiness, be watchful. We had a message on that a few weeks ago. Watch and pray. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Because of the times we're living in. And these things, all of these five things we just went through are issues we're going to have to deal with, temptations we're going to have to overcome. Are you with me this morning? So he says this, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. And therein is the warning, because we can think that we're above this. We can think that we're okay, and we lose that sober-mindedness, that alertness to say, you know what, I'm just as prone, and it increases my dependency on the Lord and the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me out of temptation. So number two is look out. Learn from the example to look out. And then Galatians 6, 1, again, it says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Do you know that's God's intent is restoration? You say, you might be here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm dealing with these issues. I've had lust. I've had issues with idolatry or immorality. I, I know this is going on in my life. But know this, that we're here to restore. The Holy Spirit's here to do a work of restoration in your life. To build up what the enemy's torn down. And there's a way he restores. He's not harsh. He's gentle. He knows just how to operate on us. He knows just how to heal that part in our life. He knows how to speak into that situation in your life. He says, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. In other words, we have to be mindful of, I am just as prone to temptation in these areas, so I must be watchful. That I'm living in the midst of this culture and they're all around me is this surrounded with this stuff that I've got to be mindful. I've got to be on the lookout. Take heed. Be careful. And then he goes on. He says, no temptation. Somebody say, no temptation. Has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Oh, such as is common to man. I've heard this. No, you don't understand what I'm going through. No, I may not, but God does. The Lord does. And what we're going through, the temptations we're facing, they're common. They're common. And one person's molehill is another person's mountain. One person's mountain is another person's molehill. So there's an area the enemy knows where to tempt you in because we have weaknesses. But be careful. He says, it's common to man. But here's the good news. Come on, somebody. And God is faithful. God is faithful. Aren't you glad when it ends well? 
who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Temptation is the trial of man's fidelity, integrity, virtue, constancy. So there's tests that come in life externally. There's tests that God brings in our life. He tests the righteous, the Bible says. But there's tests that come from our own lusts and desires. There's trials that test our fidelity, our integrity. Integrity is doing in secret the right thing. Where are you? You can be looking good in church on Sunday. Come on. All dressed up, smiling, worshiping. But in those moments where God sees, only God sees. In those trials, God is faithful. Come on. God is faithful to deliver you. God is faithful to give you a way out. An enticement to sin, temptation, whether arising from the desires or outward circumstances. There isn't anything new under the sun. We face it all. But the number three is this. Leave. <laughs> Learn from the example. Learn by the example. Look out and leave. That's what I, the simplicity of Paul's message once you get through all of it is this. He says there's a way out of that temptation. God will make a way out. And it's not that you can entirely be delivered from temptation. You'd have to be out of this world. But reading the last part of that scripture, he says, so that you will be able to endure it, which means not give into it. But sometimes getting out of temptation means getting into a different neighborhood. Getting into a different neighborhood. If you are putting yourself in a place where you are opening doors to sexual immorality, idolatry, lust, all these things. Unbelief, feeding unbelief in your life. You see, the enemy only gets access when we give it to him. The enemy only gets access when we give it to him. And there's escape routes. You know, if you go down to Enumclaw and Puyallup and in the valley below Mount Rainier. We recently were watching a National Geographic special recounting Mount St. Helens explosion. Was there anyone here who's here for that? We, were, we came like six months after that. And you see just the destructive power. I mean, it was unbelievable. The whole side of that mountain flows down. And it went well beyond what they projected it would. It went miles that flow did. And destroyed everything. These trees were like toothpicks in the, in the, in the path of that lava flow. And yet down in, in Enumclaw and Puyallup, you drive around, there's escape routes. There's signs that say, here's escape routes to get out of here. God will give you an escape route to get out of your situation. Here's the key. Are you looking for it? There's an exit sign that will light up if we're looking for it. In Proverbs, it talks about the prudent man, and it says that he sees the evil... And he hides himself. In Proverbs chapter 7, there's the, the man who is just walking where he should not be walking. And the adulteress whose husband is away. 
says, come on in. He's in the wrong neighborhood. He's in the wrong neighborhood. And like an arrow, it says, into his liver. I think it was, I have to read it back, but he gets trapped. She's like, I've prepared my bed. I've got spices. We can just take our pleasure. Wrong neighborhood. Out where I shouldn't be. Watching something I shouldn't watch. Opening my eyes to something I shouldn't see. Opening my ears to something I shouldn't hear. That's planting things. Come on. Those temptations come from something inside of us that something inside of us gets inside of us somehow. Many times it's a thought, then it becomes an imagination, then it becomes a stronghold in our life that God needs to deliver us from. And when we have those strongholds, it's a repeated behavior. We can't get out of it. We're stuck. That's an area of my life that the enemy has dominion in, and I'm not free as he wants me to be free. It was for freedom that Christ died for you. He wants you to be free and entirely free. From whatever you're in, whatever bondage, whatever chain has weighed you down, whatever thing is, is, is holding you down, God will set you free in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet this morning.